Good morning. Morning. Good morning. I must admit, uh, as I thank the administrative staff for inviting me, for allowing me to come to be here, that uh, this is a, a different twist for me after um, about 15, 16 years, that normally on this day I am someplace um, giving a keynote or speaking on behalf of the life and legacy of Dr. King. And on this occasion, uh, we accepted this invitation because as I sat and talked with staff, I cannot think of someone who was more dedicated to uh, education than Dr. King. After all, he was a young man who graduated high school at age 15, graduated from college at age 19, and left college uh, there at Morehouse and went on to get his PhD from uh, Boston U, all at a very early age, all before he was uh, 21 years of age. He was also the kind of man who did not mind uh, challenging uh, the system to right wrongs and to correct things that needed to be corrected. So as I reflected on this day for me and how I would uh, not be speaking directly to his legacy, but rather to the field of education. I couldn't be more honored to be here with you today and to talk about why we must change because the landscape of America is changing. What I have discovered as I have traveled the country is that what we used to see and what we used to do in the field of education now has to change. And it has to change not because we just simply are changing for the sake of changing, but rather we need to change as educators because the landscape is changing. I know that many of you right now are in districts that are going through significant change. Many of you are in districts now that have uh, five, six, 10, 15 different languages being spoken within that district. Some of you are now seeing students that you've never seen before, that, that you are now all of a sudden find yourself now teaching a majority Hispanic uh, class, or you find yourself uh, dealing with students from Burma, you find yourself now dealing with students who are from various parts of the world. Which means, by the way, that those of us who are in charge of education must change in order to meet the needs of the students. I know that there are some educators who believe that if students come to us, that they must change in order to meet where we are as the one in charge of processing education. I believe that to be a mistake. I believe that those of us who are in charge of education must be willing to go outside of our own comfort zones to bring students in, to make sure that they feel comfortable with this process of learning. This morning we're going to spend a little time talking about how this landscape change is affecting us as educators and what we must do to change. 
I was excited when they asked me to come in and to share information about uh, uh, the reasons why technology is so important. And I know that you have people who are going to do a much better job than I with the use of technology. But I hope my few minutes with you uh, this morning will help you understand why we need to change and then help you understand that as we get into this uh, second semester now of, uh, of our grading period, that we understand clearly that if we are to meet the needs of today's population, that change will be necessary and technology will be a, a major component of that change. Now, I know that uh, many of you have come perhaps just to hear a keynote address, and uh, maybe few of you have come to hear a keynote address based on where you're sitting. Uh, but <laughs> it's okay, you come on down. Even the people who come in late trying to find seats in the back, they don't even want to come up front. I don't know what it is. Maybe I should get off the stage and come down there where you are, <laughs> which I don't mind doing if, if, uh, if, if I can. I do that before the day is over. Because I need to make sure, and that's the teacher in me, I need to make sure that my students are taking good notes. I always like to see that you're taking notes. So I need you, even if you didn't come prepared, I need you to take out pen and pencil, or uh, whatever you have come with, because I want to share some information with you that I think will help you when you go back into the classroom on tomorrow morning. <laughs> a lot of people over in this section are saying, okay, good. If you're ready, then I'm ready. One of the things that I have uh, come to understand is that the need for us to have the data and the research that supports anything that someone gives us, any suggestions that give us, uh, that are given to us. And I say that because oftentimes people come in and they give us thoughts and they give us ideas, and that's nice. I like to hear your thoughts, I like to hear ideas, but I also like to know if there is research that backs up what you are saying, if there is some way that I can see how um, I need to do something differently and why I need to do it differently. So. Um, this morning, I'm going to try to give you just a little research that you might begin to understand why we need to change. There was a study done by Michigan University, and the study found something that I thought would be very, very important. The study said that regardless of where children come from, regardless of their race or their culture, that there are basically five major influences on the young people. And I need you to see what those five are so that you can begin to, um, to see something that is starting to happen. And I need you to feel comfortable, and since I am so far away from you, I may come down there, because I need you, um, you can just keep the camera on the, uh, on the slides, that way I can figure out what's going on. I need you to see this because I want you to know what these five are, so I want you to write them down if you would. The, the, and this is not in any order 
of uh, priority at this point. This is just um, as it comes to us for discussion for today. There are basically five major influences on young people, and the first one that I'll give you is first one that I will give you is school. The second one that I will give you is church. The third one is TV. The fourth one is peers. And the fifth one is home. Now, these are the five major influences on young people. Again, what I found interesting about this is that the study said it didn't really matter about the ethnicity, it didn't matter about the culture, it didn't even matter about the social economic status of these young people. The bottom line is that it said that it, no matter where the children came from, these were the five major influences. The five major influences that I am particularly concerned about, the only time that there was a difference was based on the decade that the child was raised in. That's the only difference. It said it didn't matter about the social status. It didn't matter whether they had two parents. It didn't matter whether they had one parent. It didn't even matter whether they had two fathers or two mothers. That the bottom line is these are the five major influences. So I found that to be very interesting because I often hear people say, well, you know, they're poor. And because they are poor, we have to be concerned because they're not going to learn uh, as quickly. They won't pick up the information as fast. And what I've learned about that is that, that being poor, having been poor, and probably is this level now poor, um, you know, you can be poor and have your own business. You do know that, right? What, what you don't know is I'm a witness now. <laughs>
but I want to make sure. Are there any 50 children here? Raise your hand. Oh, I should see more hands than that. Okay, about 40s, 30s, 20s, 1800s. Okay, about 12 people back to back. You know, the significance of that is I knew that there would be some 50s children in here, and if you're having real difficulty if you're 50s children and you can't raise your hand, take your other hand and hold it up. Two channels. Three channels. 
Yeah, three channels, okay. And the television went off at what time? Nine o'clock, ten o'clock? Now, you can stay there and watch it as long as you want. <laughs> but when the Star Spangled Banner comes on, that was it. And then you get these little round circles that are you know. Now, you can sit there and just watch the snow if you want to. But it went off at a certain time. And also, those of you who are in the audience may remember that it really depended on uh, a couple of things. You had to have uh, an antenna. You know, to, to get through reception. Now, see, my young people don't know anything about the antennas. You know, they don't know about analog. You know, yeah, yeah. And the antenna had to have more than just the gravity issue. It also has to have some help sometimes based on the weather signal. And you, so you had to that's right, Doc. You had to have some aluminum foil. You know, the aluminum foil was very important. And you had to have some needle nose pliers. How many people remember pliers? After all, that was your remote control. So you had to have <laughs> How many of you were your parents remote control? <laughs> Isn't that the worst thing that can happen to a child? You're out playing basketball, having a good time, and but you're like, what? You come home to change the channel. <laughs> you're like, why are you bombing all the way out there? So you have to change the channel. Well, you said that to yourself, you know what I mean? You were <laughs> The fact that you want to hear is an indication that you didn't say that to your parents. <laughs> the bottom line is you can change the channel. <laughs> that, that program goes off and they call you back and change it again. But the reality of it is, in the 50s, we, we found ourselves dealing with home and uh, school and church and peers, and then finally we found ourselves dealing with TV. Now, I find that very interesting, and I'll come back and, and make a connection in just a few moments. But let's move, because I don't have time to go through all of this based on the time that we have together today, and let's skip up to the decade of the 80s. Let's skip up to the decade of the 80s, just based on time. In the decade of the 80s, in the decade of the 80s now, what then was number one? Say again. Okay, very good. Home. And so, you know, it's okay to be wrong, and you've been wrong with all of them, but, but, <laughs> that's why we're doing this exercise, and we're taking you through this exercise. Home was still number one, by the way, consistently number one. Consistently number one. Now, what was number two? Very good to the, to the young people in the back, um, and that's probably outside of my city. So number two was uh, Peters, was Peters. And number three, as you probably saw, was what? Very good, was TV. Now, the significance of that is two things. Uh, we started to see Peters creep up, and we saw television creep up. But what was number four? Very good, you were hoping that somewhere would be on there, right? So we find that school is number four. And then what's next? All right, church then is number what? Okay, now let me ask you, for those who are looking at it, do you see anything happening? Look at it, look at the 50s that you have on your page, and then look at um, what we, where we are in the 80s. Do you see anything happening at all? Uh, well, if not yet, let's, let's see something. Then let's move to the decade of the 90s. In the decade of the 90s, 
now. What then was number one? Very good. Peter's. Now, I know I told you home was consistently number one. All the way up to this decade. This is the first time, this is the first time that home is no longer in the number one position. This is very important because I can tie this in at home. This is the first time that home is no longer in the number one position. What's number two? Anybody? Number two was, that's pretty easy. Tell me. I told you it started creeping up in the decade of the 80s. What was number three? Very good. Home. What was number four? School. Very good. That would be school. And, and what's next? And what number is it? Well, now, what's interesting about that is, in the decade of the 90s, what we found is church is now number what? Number 10. Number 10. What's significant about that is that this is the first time, this is the first time that home is no longer in the number one position and church is not even in the top five. Now, I'm going to tie this in in a number of, of, of ways that I hope will make some sense for everybody based on education. I need you to... Um, Look at this as we talk about church, not from a spirituality, but meaning um, your relationship with the Creator, but rather the institution. Institution. Um, and so we found now that certain things happen in this place of worship. And when I say church, I don't want to lose anybody. Uh, we're not talking about denomination here. It could be a hall, synagogue, mosque temple, where it is that you worship on a regular basis. Uh, so I don't want to lose you, but, but where you were in terms of a day or uh, an evening of worship. And let me ask you this question. Other than, other than spirituality, meaning other than your relationship with the Creator, uh, and we'll set that aside so that they don't say that I can hold my check up because uh, we were doing uh, religious activity. Uh, let's talk about the institution. What else did you learn in this place of worship other than spirituality? What else did you learn? Uh, morals. I, I heard that. Morals. What else? Social uh, behaviors. What else did you learn? Family, a sense of family. What else did you learn? Did you have parents? You found that out in church? Okay, I'm not going to, all right, that's fine. That's a new one on me, but I'll okay, all right, very good. What, what else did you learn? Respect. What else did you learn? How to sit still. No, 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 that's the you know, we laugh about that, but you know, I was raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and I learned to look like I was paying attention, even when I didn't pay attention. Because I knew that as I sat there, if my head went too far over to the right or to the left, and don't let it go, because whatever was in my mother or my grandmother's hand was coming my way. 
could quickly tell you something that I found to be very important in this uh, particular decade. It says something that I found in the 90s that I want to share with you, is that, that is, in the decade of the 90s, something else started to happen. And what that was, was basically what we call the media. And the media then, but it came to us primarily through the home. And so it was uh, the media through the home. And it came to us primarily through uh, two ways. That was through satellite dish and through, um, through cable. And when I say satellite dish and cable, I am talking about those of us who had legal cable <laughs> and those who had illegal cable and satellite dish. Because I'm sure that there are some of you uh, based on how, how you look this morning, uh, who had illegal cable. Anybody know somebody who had illegal cable in that area? Not, not, I'm not asking you to, to test now. There are people that I'm not, you know, because now you're a teacher, you don't want to test illegal cable. But how many of you know somebody? That's what put it that way. But you had a cousin who had illegal cable or illegal satellite. Just raise your hand. All right, that's much better. And they just happen to live with you. So, so the reality of it is that we had uh, cable and stuff like this. Now, here's what I want to get to. Now, if you would write this phrase down, this is the key for us tonight. Technology forced you to change. Technology forced you to change. In the case of those who had illegal cable and illegal satellite vision, what caused you to change was not that you had a renewing of your mind or that you had a, a, a spiritual revelation and you decided to turn off this illegal cable. It wasn't that somebody came in and gave you a good sermon and you said, you know what, I'm no longer going to use this illegal cable. It was because the years that you used to send Ray Ray up the pole to fix the, the cable, or reconnect it back to when the cable people took it off, and you know what I'm talking about. There were some people in here that you know, I don't know what their name was in your neighborhood, but you, Ray Ray or Jumug or, or something, <laughs> Peanut or something, where you sent them up the pole and it came up. You look like you were the Ray Ray in your neighborhood. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
So what we find now is that videos or games and 
videos are major, major influence on young people. Alright, and then what's number two? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. The internet. The internet. What's number three? Number three very clearly is computers. Now, most times when I'm working with staff members, whenever I say internet is number two and computers number number three, uh, there's always two or three, four, five staff members who would say, wait, 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 we already said internet. Why do you then say computers? Because young people do not see them as the same. And they really are not. But the bottom line is, for those of us who are of a certain age, we see them as the same. Because after all, we are proud of ourselves because we now know how to turn the thing on. <laughs> oh, we really are very proud of that. You know, you know I turned my computer on yesterday, don't you? <laughs> and so I said, you did? Yeah, I turned it on. I said, well, did you turn it off? No, I don't know how to turn it off. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the reality of it is, those of us of a certain age find ourselves uh, excited because we are not necessarily as computer literate as we would like to be, or as we need to be, which we'll talk about in a second, but the bottom line is our, our students are. Then what was number four? Number four is the movies. Major influence on young people. In fact, movies are so important now that Wall Street is using the movie industry and the amount of money that it takes in uh, weekly, and I'll come back to that in a moment, the amount of money that it takes in weekly as part of the index to determine the state of the economy. Why? Because if you simply look at um, the newspaper on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, particularly USA Today, if you look at the, the uh, uh, newspaper, it will tell you how many movies came out that week and how much money they made. And what you look at is um, the amount of money that they made all in one weekend. And you'll determine that we're talking about millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in one weekend. But it's primarily not those of us in this room who are going to the movies. And the reason why those of us in this room are not the ones going to the movies is because, if, first of all, movies cost $10 now. And if we go to a $10 movie and we sit down in a chair and they dim the lights, <laughs> You have a $75 Coca-Cola and a $125 bag of popcorn over here. And the lights go out, the next thing you know, you start rocking. We're out. Why? Because most of us are tired. We've been telling the children all day long, we are tired. But our children are excited about going to the movies and they are just interested in seeing as many different movies as they possibly can. Then the, the, the uh, fifth one. The fifth one in this particular uh, uh, era would be 
Network TV. Network TV. That is just plain television. Now, normally when I ask this question, someone will say, um, when I ask what are, the, what are the five under media, someone will say cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. And you're right, the cell phone is very important to young people. But the reason why the cell phone is very important is because you can do all five of these things on the cell phone. The cell phone in and of itself is not that major, but the bottom line is when you combine all five of these things into this one, you see, the study says that the cell phone, those of us of a certain age, those of us of a certain age, use less than 10% of the capacity of the, of the telephone. Less than 10%. We basically use it to talk to people and then hang on. In fact, you can always tell those of us of a certain age because we talk on the phone like this. Hello? from 
the news media at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. But now, what's interesting to me about that, and this is the part that I really need you to see, because I'm going to give you some suggestions in just a second about what we might need to do to, to resolve this. Those of us who watch uh, uh, the 6 o'clock news or the 5 o'clock news, and, and we receive our information from that some of us are still waiting on Chet Huntley and David Bricker uh, to return, uh, or walk the pump right now, I'm trying to you not return. Uh, but, but what's happening about that is, that's how we've always gotten our news. But if you ever want to know who's watching a television program, the best way to determine that is by simply watching the commercials. Because the, the companies have done what they call focus groups. And, and the focus groups will tell them who's watching the show. So primarily, the commercials tell you who's watching the show. You with me? Alright. So, what are the commercials that are on the 5 o'clock news? Because you have the highest experience, 
you have the most interest and you feel that you can command the highest dollar. So what does that say? In essence, you'll be back. <laughs> Even if you retire, you'll be back. So you might as well go ahead and learn now because the same student that's in your class now will be waiting on you when you get back. <laughs> hey, I was waiting on you. They told me you retired two years ago, so I just said, I just said, I can't wait on you. I'm still in your class. And I need you to understand that we might as well make the adjustment now in dealing with young people than to simply wait until the very end. So there are some things that I really want you to know about shifting to deal with today's 21st century student. Because some of us are still dealing with it as if we are in the 20th century, and we are not. So now let me ask you this question. When you look at this, tell me what you see. Very quickly, tell me what you see, because I need to go into some solutions before our time is up. Tell me what you see. Okay, I need, you, I need one or two people to tell me what you see. If you're still awake, tell me what you see. Well, the first thing that, that the gentleman over here said that he recognized is that school has gone down. It has dropped down. At one point, school was major. Can anybody tell me why that is important? Say again, please. She said, because they don't learn necessarily in school, they can learn in, in media, even if the information they're learning is wrong. Because oftentimes, stuff that's on the internet is absolutely wrong. But here's what's interesting about this. At one point, school was a major, major influence because the community talked about the importance of school. The home talked about the importance of school. The neighbors, the leadership, everybody talked about the importance of school. And they encouraged students to go to school. They said, if you want a good job, you've got to get a good education. If you want to be somebody, you've got to get a good education. Everybody talked about the importance of school. But now we have young people who don't see the connection between becoming successful and going to school. Because they say, if I want to become successful, maybe I can play uh, mega louder and hit more, what was it last week, 380 million or something like that? Uh, maybe I can go and, and, uh, and, and play basketball. Maybe I can figure out how to, how to rap. Maybe I can play football. Because they see other alternatives to education. In fact, there are so many alternatives. How, is there anybody here who played volleyball when you were in school? Okay, volleyball players. Do you know that that, that is now a, a real serious profession? That you can make a half million dollars a year playing volleyball? Imagine when we were growing up telling your mother, I'm going to be a volleyball player. <laughs> Imagine, um, the, I, I used to uh, get skateboarding, and, and, and what it really wasn't called skateboarding, it was a table. And we make take a table, table and put some skates on it, you know, and you ride down the hill, right? And so that was our. Imagine now, skateboarding. Uh, people are making millions of dollars a year skateboarding. And my mother used to tell me, get off that skateboard, don't break your neck. Little did I know that I could maybe break my neck, but at the same time I could be a millionaire. 
then if I get a chance to come back to your individual schools and we'll talk about it, uh, we'll vet it a bit and go down a little deeper on it. Why is that, by the way? Why do you feel, or why do you feel the research suggests that students have a short attention span as a result of the media? In small chunks. Yes, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. We'll come back to that. Anybody else? We'll come back to your report in just a second. Information is on demand. Say again? Information is on demand. Information is on demand. Absolutely. We'll come back to that in just a moment. You're correct. On another point. Headlines. Headlines. Let me share with you. It's all your wrong. The reason is because of something called commercials. Here's, here's why. Television is designed in intervals of 30 minutes. It's programmed in intervals of 30 minutes. And within the 30-minute period of time, we have what's called what? Commercials. What's a synonym for commercial? A break. A break. Children are accustomed to at least three or four, maybe five breaks within a 30-minute period of time. But we want them to be focused how long? All day. And then they'd be like, you crazy. I have been focused on that my whole life. Because they have never been trained or they've never been indoctrinated with the uh, focus for a long period of time before a break. So they're sitting there waiting on you to give them a break. And they're saying, come on, when is the commercial time? When is and so you're saying, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Bottom line is, they're already someplace else. What's number two? Number two with that is this. Students are accustomed to being entertained. This is extremely important here. Students are accustomed to being entertained. All their life they have grown up being entertained. They're placed in front of the television, or they go to the movies, they play video games, and all of those things that are entertaining to them. And so they come to your class, and you know what's interesting about this is that uh, and I, I think that teachers sometimes forget that the bottom line is that nobody wants to be bored to death. Nobody. Not even you. Not even you. I mean, it, if I had come in here this morning and said, okay, everybody, and passed out my presentation, and I would say to you, okay, you read silently while I read aloud. <laughs> and I say, teaching the 21st century student, January 17, 2011. Hello, Civic Session 1. You would have said, oh no, uh, no. I know this man is not going to be to me for an hour and a half. Somebody help me, please. And in fact, that's why you all sat in back, just in case. Principal, whoever our principals, 
They're not here. <laughs> you guys are scared to only hear them, huh? And the reality about, about, about that, I get invited to, to school by the principal, and they said, well, would you go and do a, a classroom observation in the classroom? And I said, yeah, sure. How many of you know a teacher at your school? Everybody just continue to look at me now. Just continue. <laughs> Who is just absolutely boring. A teacher at your school is absolutely for no point. <laughs> He's over there doing this. No, this boy. No, I've, I've seen it. You don't want to acknowledge it, but you don't have to. The children tell me. I've gone into classrooms and, 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 and I've seen people say, okay, everybody, open your books. Open it to page 17. And the kids say, we did page 17 yesterday, Mr. Johnson. Then turn to page 18 then. Gender classes. 
All boys or all girls? Okay, excellent. Uh, that is, we're going to see more and more of that coming in uh, in the future. But one of the things that I know, having worked with boys for a very long time, is that, and particularly as it relates to men as well, I don't know what it is about us, but when men are home and they are in front of the television or in their man cave or whatever you want to call it, that, that, that we have to have a what? Remote. There's something about a man and a remote that is just unbelievable. It's an attachment that we just like gotta have. In fact, when we get up and go to the restaurant, we take the remote with us. <laughs> we go to the kitchen, get something to eat, take the remote with us. Or if we leave it, and if somebody moves the remote, it's like World War Five. Why and who moved my remote? There's something about it. So what I learned about boys is that, that this is uh, this is something that we we come to expect and to have, and so we don't have one necessarily in the classroom, but we do have one uh, in, in our heads. And so the remote that we have in our head, we start changing channels, and our behavior you can easily see it change when we go to another channel. So when you see a child who is misbehaving. You're teaching science, or you're teaching uh, social studies, or you're teaching writing, or you're teaching reading. Know that they're on a different channel. And you've got to bring them back to the channel that you're on. However you feel comfortable in bringing them back. We were in a, in a small school setting. I would give you some suggestions of how to do that. In this setting, it might be a little bit more difficult. But you've got to see that they need to be brought back to the channel that you're on. Number four. Number four is real simple. Students are accustomed to receiving information faster than we are accustomed to getting it. Students are accustomed to receiving information faster than we are accustomed to giving it. I shared with you earlier the story with Michael Jackson. They're accustomed to getting information fast. It is not necessarily that it's accurate, you know, though in school it would be accurate, but they are accustomed to getting it fast. And so we want to continue to deliver information the way it was either taught to us, the way that we learned it ourselves. But now this generation is what I call the microwave generation. They want everything with speed. They want everything right away. So they're saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's do this, let's do this. But we are continuing to do it the same old way, and we're missing the students. And I'll come back to this in just a second. I'm going to deal with the last one, um, just for the sake of time. And that is the last one, number five for today, is students are now visual learners. So the very first thing that I would like to encourage you to do, if you have not already done that for your uh, school or for your class, is I want to encourage you to do a multiple intelligence checklist of your classes or of your class. In order to start out this second quarter, I know we're already a couple of days into the second, uh, second semester, that, that I need you to do the kind of survey, multiple intelligence survey, of all the students in your class, so that you might begin to understand the best way to deliver the information that you have. It may very well be that you are dealing with a student or a group of students who are rhythmic in their learning style. So if you have students, how many of you have a student who sits in his, his class or her class being on the phone? 
this, this, the, the, uh, the teacher who is uh, musical rhythmic doesn't even hear the child chant. They don't even hear it. Why? Because they themselves are musical rhythmic. And, and you might hear them tapping on something. Because it doesn't bother them. It only bothers those people who are not musical rhythm. What the child is uh, perhaps telling you is, I'm listening to you, but I listen to a beat. And I process by listening to a beat. So the child is listening to a beat. And you will see these children sometimes walk down the hall. <laughs> and you say, something's wrong with that boy. But the bottom line is, I need you to understand, I need you to understand that if you do the, the multiple intelligence checklist for, for your class or for your school, you begin to see the various styles in your classroom, and you may then be able to adjust what you are teaching according to the dominant style that's in the classroom. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into classrooms where the teacher says, I don't know what's wrong with this particular third period class or fourth period class. I can then just fall off the wall. And I come in and the first thing I do is I just do a multiple intelligence. And I, I said, you see what this is? And she said, yes. And I said, you see your style? Yes. Do you see a class? Yes. That's the problem. It's not that the students don't know how to learn, but this is something that I want to encourage everybody in here to try. I'm not saying that it's going to immediately cause every student in your, in your class to make A's, straight A's. I am going to say, though, that it will bring something to your attention as to what is the best way to reach certain children. And even if, this is the most important part, even if you choose not to do it for the entire class, at least do the intelligence checklist for the students that you're having difficulty with. If you have a student or several students who are not performing the way you would like to see them perform, stop. Stop for a moment. Do a multiple intelligence checklist and see what their style of learning is and see if you can adjust what it is that you're teaching to their style of learning. I guarantee, I guarantee you will find that you have a better way of connecting with that child. If you have a desire for information about that, email me at the address that, that we're going to show you in a few moments. But email me, and I will gladly send you information. I'll even send you a little preliminary test. I mean, this is not a sales picture. I mean, this is all free. We just email it back to you that I want you to use in your class. Because I know that it will make the difference in whether or not that child in your class is able to comprehend the things that you are giving them. And for me, that's the most important part, that the child is able to comprehend. Now, let me go back up to number four, and this is where we'll kind of end for today. I share with you that students are accustomed to receiving information faster than we are accustomed to giving. And the best way that we can make sure that students are connected with us is through the use of technology. How many of you right now have what I call a data bank of phone numbers of your students' parents. Okay. Do you know that one of the best ways to connect with parents 
is the use of this that you can catch parents very quickly. You know, I'm saying that because do you know that parents are not now coming to the school as much as they used to? But they are connected electronically. So if you want to send a parent a note, all you have to do is text the parent. And you say, well, my students won't give me the, the correct phone number. Oh, yes, they will. Off of them, um, off of them, um, what could you offer? I don't know, I don't know your students, but off of them, um, start out a second. First day, okay, I tell you what, everybody who gives me their parents' correct, um, correct, um, phone number, you start out with an A this, this semester. I guarantee you give every child parents' number. They will give it to you. Now, parents are not going to change their number just because you have it. They're not. And I know some of you say, well, no, I don't want parents to have my, my number because then they call me or they'll text me back, shut up, or they, they send me those cryptic notes of some kind. You, the technology is such that, and I, hope, I don't know who's going to do the technology discussion for this afternoon, but the technology is such that, um, that you can, the school can have a server that your phone goes through, and the only number that shows up on the um, other side is the number of the school. It's real simple, not your personal number. And I know you say, well, I'm not going to use up my text minutes um, to, to, to text parents. Okay. Then you need a new plan. If you can only text, if you can only text two people a month, yes or no, you need a new plan. And the reason I'm saying it is because this is a wonderful tool for you to stay in contact. In fact, even in the case of some students, this is a wonderful way. If you're, if you're teaching in the classroom and there's a student back in the back who's not paying attention. <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> and it goes off. Kiss me. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Who wrote this? You can connect with the student that's in the back of the class. It's an ideal tool and one. Now watch this for a moment. I don't know what your policy is in, in your various school districts about cell phone usage. Uh, most of them. This is um, working in now, telling students you can't bring them in, you know, and they're illegal and that sort of thing. But let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room own a cell phone? Raise your hand. Okay, just about everybody. Time's a little hard.
And they pull out the phone, because it's raised, and they say, I'm in a staff meeting right now. I called you back. She did what? No. Girl, I can't talk right now, but tell me what happened now. Shut up. I'm going to call as soon as I get out of staff meeting. Number four, 
hydrogen seven, which is whatever works for you. Three links that will connect a student to an interactive site about what you are teaching. I'll say that again. At least three links that will connect a student to an interactive site about what you are teaching right then. Which means that as you change what you're teaching, the area of the subject that you're teaching, the links should change. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to do it by yourself. You can team and do this. You, know, you can do it based on grade level, you can do it based on subject matter, uh, subject area, you can do it however you want to do it. You need to have that. Come back and time to run it out. Explain that uh, in two seconds. Number what number five? Number five, I need the student to be able to email you. And B under that is I need you to be able to, to reply to the student's email. Now, while we're on that, let me say this about emailing. Please, please, never ever email any individual student for any reason. For any reason. If a student, what's your name? Yes, sir. If Bob emails me and says, Mr. Cambon, I understand that uh, homework or his homework, page 175 through 180, my, my, my immediate uh, inclination is to respond yes. My suggestion is you never ever email a single uh, child in your, in your classroom. Your response ought to be to the entire class, to the entire class. In other words, if Bob asked you, Mr. Uh, Cameron, I'm not sure about the homework assignment, uh, it's 175. You say, I was asked if what the homework assignment is, it is page 175 to 180, whatever it is, um, and you sign your name and that's it. But you send it to everybody in the class. Plus, you CC that to either the principal, the assistant principal, or the counselor. Y'all with me? You CC that to the whole, anytime you communicate with a student, anytime for any reason you communicate with a student, CC it to the principal, the assistant principal, or the counselor. This is called covering all parts. <laughs> covering all the parts that you have. Why is that? Because there is no parent or no adult who can say that you have inappropriately made contact with a child. Because if they come up and say, hey, you know, you texted my daughter, you texted my son, why did you do that? Or you emailed my son. No, I emailed every child in my classroom. I sent it to the principal, or I sent it to the counselor, everybody. Now, here are the records. It eliminates any discussion about inappropriate uh, conversation behind uh, a student, an individual student. And I know that people say, well, I just, all I said was, yes, you never know how it gets played out. Well, all I said was, how are you today? Or something as simple as, I missed you in class today. Well, to one student, you missed him in class today. To another student, oh, she missed me. Or, oh, he 
miss everything. Eliminate that discussion. You miss everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you eliminate, I mean, it is eliminating discussion. So I need you to begin to do that. And I wish you had a little bit more time to talk about why I wanted you to do those things. But these things that I'm sharing with you now, I know they work. And the reason why, this is where I will end for this discussion. Uh, the reason, the reason why I want you to have get another one. Um, uh, that time is because this, for many children, for many children, is a TV set, and you can. I'm telling you what I have done. I'm telling you what works. And, and I'll just take you back here. Take this thing. This is heavy. Okay. May I? Thank you. All right. All right. Now, what, what I want you to do is, I've done this when I, when I have a student that's in the class, and he or she is not paying attention, not focused, I will walk over to them, and I will do this, and I'll just show them something, and I'll keep moving. And they say, what's their response? Wait, 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 let me see that. No, no, this is about learning. You don't want to learn. Sit. And you move on. But i got to pull down, because he's now saying, wait, I want, I, want, I want to see that. I want to see that. Particularly when I know websites that I know will be of interest to them. And I know that they're visual learners, so all I gotta do is go to a website that they're interested in, show up, and, uh, and, and click it, and move on, and they'll say, wait, 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 here's the camera. This, for many of our students, is just like watching television. And that's why, thank you, and that's why the churches that we see that are mega churches, mega churches now, when you go into their environment, what's the first thing you see when you walk in the door? Huge screens. You walk in and you think that you're going to better go into a concert. Because in reality, they know that that's who they're trying to appeal to. Bring in the younger people. So I'm trying to get us as educators to recognize the need for us to change the way we do what we do because we're dealing with students of the 21st century. Y'all with me? All right, this is where we're going to end today. I know that there are a number of you here. And if there's anyone who has a burning question, please ask it. If not, I'll shut it down. Good. Okay, now, no, seriously, if you have a burning question, I want to try to answer it. Because I want to make sure that you leave out here saying, I got something out of it. I may not do it. I may even know everything you said. But it won't be because you didn't get something that you could use tomorrow morning. I'm asking you to take a look at the way you are giving instruction. I know that everybody in here is qualified. I know that everybody in here is highly qualified to do their job. But sometimes there is a disconnect between the students who are sitting in the chairs and the knowledge that we have in our heads. And what I'm trying to get us to see is that that piece that is in between is the instruction. The students need the instruction. We have the instruction. But there's a disconnect right in the middle. And what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that if we are going to be effective in the 21st century, it's going to be because we change the instruction, the middle part, 
to meet the 21st century student that's in our class. That's when we began to see the difference. I leave you with this one simple statement. I believe that we wear this tag called educators for a reason. And an educator simply means, by definition, the enlightened one whose job it is to enlighten others. The enlightened one whose job it is to enlighten others. And I believe that we must be just like an elevator. I don't know about you, but you know, if you've ever gone somewhere and, and, and there was an elevator there, you push the button, and frequently the, the elevator must come from another floor. Sometimes down, but most times up it comes down, opens the door, allows you to step on it, push the button to where you want to go. I believe that those of us in the field of education must become elevators. We must lower ourselves, not our standards, but lower ourselves down to where the students are. Open wide to allow them to come on and then we push the button to take them where they need to go. If we do that, I guarantee that our future will be in great hands. Because whether you like it or not, you are really preparing your future. And to the degree that we become successful, I say not their future, but I say your future. You are preparing your future. Because you do know that these are students who are going to take care of us. Oh yes, I know some of you don't want to take care of you, but these are the ones who are going to take care of us. So, I'm saying to you as, as, as importantly as I can, please, let's make sure that the students that are in our schools, in our classes, are prepared to take care of us by us now meeting them where they are and taking them where we know they need to go. Thank you very much.